Sometimes the world can be a really crazy place. Not everything is exactly what it seems to be. And in this episode, some of the things I'm going to talk about really aren't what they seem to be. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Malted Muse podcast. If anybody wants to contact me, please do so. The email address is, as always, jim at themaltedmuse.com and you can also contact me through the website themaltedmuse.com where there's more information, links and a contact form. Right, well I just want to get everybody up to date with what's been happening with one of my daughters. I know I talk about this a lot but it is for a worthy cause. This is my daughter who's doing the charity based Road to Timbuktu car rally, the Timbuktu challenge. Last week I didn't think she was going to make it, she wasn't going to get off. Then I wake up in the morning, I found she is doing it, the rally's on, she's off, she's gone and then what happens? contact with her is not perhaps as much as I'd like it to be but information is feeding back and then the news comes onto the television and there's trouble in Tunisia there's fears that the trouble could spread and where's my daughter no she's not in Tunisia but she's in Africa and as a as a father as a parent of course I'm worried about her I'm texting her I'm trying to get messages from her and then the messages come through so I know where she is I know she's safe I know she's actually having a good time but she is finding it difficult she's got a big challenge there she is driving an old beaten up car from the UK all the way down to to Bamoko in Mali and then other transport to get down to Timbuktu and then coming up by her by her, her own means back up to through to Senegal before she flies home visiting aid projects and raising money for charity if you want to donate please do so the web address to make donations through is on my website um, it's not hard to find there um, so please do do follow the links please um, now I did say that what I was going to do is I'm going to try to track her progress in whiskey and this is going to be a big challenge to me because once she gets into Africa I'm stuck I really don't know about any North African whiskies and I am eager to get emails from people giving me clues as to what to look for giving me tasting notes that I can read out or even giving me sound bites that I can just play out about North African whiskey I have spoken to people I've tried to get inspiration um, and I think the reality is, if there isn't a whiskey there, I've got to try to make the link somewhere else, some other way. Um, in fact, Adrian from the Wee Dram, the whiskey shop in Bakewell, well worth a visit. I spoke to him about it. He very kindly pointed out that he can remember seeing a carry-on film once. And I think it was Sid James opened up this cupboard door and the whole cupboard was full of, of black label. Um, but... That's a, that's a link to Africa, but it's too tenuous. I need to find something better. Um, will I do so? Will I have found something better than that by the end of this episode? Well, hold on tight 
and and listen on of course the journey started in england but we did an english whiskey just a couple of episodes ago um she then traveled through to france so we're going to start with some french whiskies but before we do that there's a couple of th other things i want to say now the first one um is a message that relates to the last episode about Cavalan whiskey. Do you know, what is it about people who work in the whiskey industry? Is it that they're just nice people and because they're nice people they want to work with whiskey? Or is it something about the whiskey industry that makes people nice people? I don't know which way round it goes. What I do know, though, is time after time after time, when I've talked to people in the whiskey industry, they're just really nice people. And I've had a text from Yvonne from King Car Distillery, um, responsible for the Cavalan whiskey, um, who has given me some feedback about last week's podcast about Cavalan. And, you know, she has sent me some lovely emails, and this one's no exception. I do an episode about Cavalan Distillery, next thing I know, the invitation's there that if ever I'm over in Taiwan, um, to have a, a tour around the distillery and that Ian Chang himself will, will show me around and talk to me about the, the processes that they go through. It's just such nice gesture. But having said that, she's also put me right about a couple of things. Well, actually, she's put me right about one thing and she's confirmed something I already thought. What she's put me right about is last week I said Cavalan Distillery has already got bronze, they've already got silver, and they are already looking to get gold. And I shouldn't really have said that, well not quite that way, because actually as she points out, they already have got gold, and they've got gold more than once. And that says something about... I'm, I must confess I'm not a great follower of the gold medals, silver medals things, um, there's parts about that that I like. There's parts I'm not too sure about. Um, I like the individual characters of a whiskey, and sometimes the individual characters can deter them from getting good medals. Um, but having said that, I have to also have to say what a wonderful achievement for Cavalan. It does say something about the standard of, of product they're producing there, and congratulations to them, and may they have many more as well. Um, so that's one issue. The other issue that she raised with me is I did make a comment in the episode of that research isn't everything. Technology research will, will take you only part way through the journey and you mustn't forget about the art of making whiskey. And Yvonne wanted to reassure me that they haven't forgotten about the art and they do realise that there is that divide between science and art in whiskey making and they do take that on board and actually last week I said that my guess was that they did know that and that's what Yvonne's doing she's confirming to me that yes King Car Distillery does know that there's art involved in whiskey making as well and to contact me like that to confirm me that to me um is just giving me that sense of yet yeah, this really is going to be a distillery to watch you know it's not nestled in ireland it's not nestled in the in the glens of scotland it's in taiwan 
but the attitude they're, de they're demonstrating there, the quality of the product they're bringing out there, the determination they seem to have, believe me, this is going to be a distillery worth watching, and I just can't wait to see how they develop even further. Now I'd like to tell you about a book that I've read recently. It's one that I've been wanting to read for a little while and it's one that's been talked about quite a lot lately. It's 101 Whiskies to Try Before You Die by Ian Buxton, written in 2010. It's got 223 pages, hasn't got an index, but it's got lots of colour illustrations. So what do I want to say about this book? I'll tell you what I want to say. I want to say, what a strange book. This book is nothing more than a list of whiskies that some bloke thinks that you should have a taste of at some point in your life. What's more, he doesn't even seem to like all of the whiskies that's in there. Now, okay, that said, let's actually take a closer look. The, that bloke I'm talking about is the one and only Ian Buxton. Now that in itself is a good indication that this is a book that's going to be worth looking at. The list of whiskies is an interesting list of mostly accessible whiskies. Now by accessible I mean that they're not greatly expensive and most are easy-ish to find. Although there is one in there that's around the £800 mark for a bottle and some are really easy to get if you live in the right spot. Now, for example, take Green Spot, the Whiskey Green Spot. Very easy to get if you live in the right part of Ireland. Not so easy to get if you live outside of Ireland. And in fact, it seems to become harder to get as time goes by, which is a great shame because that is a great whiskey. Now, one thing I like about this book is that there are whiskies in it that one can relate to. As soon as I picked it up and opened it, I thought, oh, I've tried that one. Oh, and I've tried that one and that one. Wait a minute, though. I haven't tried it at that age. And there's lots here that I haven't tried or ones that I've been meaning to try but haven't got round to it. However, the thing I like most about this book is not the actual whiskies at all. It's the message or should I say, the messages that the book gives out. The introduction to the book just confirms things that I believe in. You do not have to break the bank to buy a good whiskey. Whiskey is for everyone. Whiskey is to be drunk. And importantly, this book does not list the whiskies in some sort of rated order. The whiskies are in simple, alphabetical order, which not only makes it easy to use, but gets away from the trap of judging which is best. In fact, Ian Buxton actually points out that no one can really be so accurate as to say that one whisky is worth 92 out of 100 and another whisky to be worth 93 out of 100. This is avoided, but there are some tasty notes to serve as a bit of a guide along the way, along with a space at the bottom of the page entitled Verdict, for you to add your own comments, as well as mark your progress through the book.
And there is a guide in here about the, the rough price that each whiskey will cost. Now, the final thing I want to say is that this comes across to me anyway as an honest book. Ian has consulted with people over the, the whiskies that should go into this list, but he is the one that appears to have made the list. And he has not fallen into the politically correct traps of representing every nation or the right percentage of company brands. He has simply put down what he felt should be there. And this is why there are some little oddities that some people may take exception to, such as the presence of more than one Highland Park or more than one Compass Box whisky. In fact, I've got a sneaky feeling that, if my memory's right anyway, that the Highland Park whisky has got four entries into it. Um, there's a couple of Belvini whiskies and, and things like that, for example. But yet, whilst he's done that, there is the absence of some nations completely. There are some nations who produce whiskey that aren't even in this book. And it's not just malts that we're talking about. There's some blends in there as well. Yet again, I have to say, this is a book that is worth reading. It's a lovely idea of a, of a concept of a book. It's a lovely reference book. And to be honest, when I first got the book, I looked at it and I thought to myself, do you know, this could be the structure for a podcast series in its own right, or even a television series. This won't be the first time in this episode I'm going to suggest this. Any TV program makers out there, listen to this. Look at this book. What about making a TV program where somebody hunts down these 101 whiskies before they die and tastes all of them? The bit about dying doesn't really have to come at the end of the film that'd be an optional extra but you know the idea good book ian thank you very much let's get back to kira my daughter's journey now okay she left england she got the ferry across with the car. She came to France. Let's look at some of the French whiskies. Now, French whiskies to me, they're they're a strange little body of things here because they are so unknown to me. It's one of those strange things that it's just over this small part of water. This is lovely country, full of lovely people making these wonderful drinks, and yet. When I think about whiskey, my mind turns to Scotland or Ireland or even America. And yet there's France. Um, actually, by the mile, might even be closer to me when I was a child than Scotland would have been. And yet it's Scotland that I thought of for whiskey, not France. Yet I think there's more distilleries in France than there are in Ireland. And I suppose part of that is to do with the fact that when I think about France, I think about wine. I think about brandy i think about cider breton cider i honeymooned in in Brittany and drank a fair old bit of of Brittany cider and my life it was very good stuff now i never even tasted french whiskey until september 2004 and then 
what was actually happening is I was holidaying in Switzerland. We landed, the plane landed in, in Geneva airport. We very quickly nipped out of Switzerland into France, went into a supermarket, buying cheese and bread and the normal sort of stuff. And suddenly there on the shelf looking at me was this bottle of Reflets de France. Now I'm going to make the apology now. My French is very bad. In fact, it's non-existent. My pronunciation of anything French is going to be appallingly bad. Please forgive me. So reflects to France, 40% ABV, a Breton whiskey, mid-tone, close, slow legs. The nose on that was faint, but pleasant. But somehow I felt at that point lacking in character. It's slightly chewy to the taste, warming, but again, no great character. But having said that, still pleasant. And I've written a little note here saying, I know this is strange, but it tastes of armchairs. Cosy, yet not striking. Now, taste is one thing, but taste can change. In many ways, it's the impression, it's what the whiskey means to you that's more important. Now, this is a whiskey back in September 2004, cost me 10 euros. I don't know how old the whiskey was, came out of a supermarket, but it's the comment that, to me, says it all. And this is why note-taking is important, because my comment says, a surprise find that kept my sanity on a good holiday in Switzerland. A brief stop just over the Swiss border to stock up with food. And there it was, looking up from the shelf. And there's something about that comment that actually brings the experience of drinking the whiskey back to me. And it's the experience that, to me, is more important than the taste. Now that was 2004. And it was a few years later... In fact, I even have to go to volume two of my tasting notes um, before I tasted another French whiskey. And this time, I didn't know that I was tasting a French whiskey. I'd gone to my friend John, who's done podcast tastings with me before, went to his house, and he gave me a whiskey blind and said, have a taste of that, tell me what you think of it. So I did, and what I had here was a, was a drink that was mid-pale, its legs spaced, thin and fast moving, but the nose was very delicate, with a hint of white chocolate. The taste was pleasant, and the white chocolate on the aftertaste came through. Not unpleasantly, but mild to the point of almost being watery, as if there was something missing. Now, whilst I was tasting it, what I did pick out was a very subtle, apple feeling to it. And it made me think that this was a, a whiskey that was a bit different to what I was normally tasting. And the whiskey was Armoric, a single malt Breton whiskey from the Warringham Distillery. And forgive me if I've said that wrong. It's double distilled, matured by the coast. And I have to look to a book that I've got here now, World Whiskey by Charles McLean and see what he's written. The Warringham Distillery was founded in 1900 to produce apple cider and fruit spirits. It wasn't until 99 years later that the owners decided to start making other types of spirits, including malted beers 
and whiskey. And they are now doing two types of whiskey, a single malt and a blend. The type of cask used for maturation is not specified. The type of casks used for maturation is not specified. And I found that really interesting when I read that because when I first tasted that whiskey, blind, one of the comments I said to John at the time was, you know, it's almost as if this has been matured with a Calvados or an apple cider sort of cask. It's got some influence to it. I actually really enjoyed it. It was light. It was refreshing. It was different. Now, I did think about then moving on and talking about P&M Corsican whiskey, because technically this is a French whiskey. But Corsica's an island, and there's no way that my daughter was going to be driving through that island. So I moved on to another French whiskey that I have in stock, and this is where we now start moving on to the first part of things aren't always what they seem to be. Now the whiskey I'm going to talk about now, and I'm going to taste here and now, is Edu. And again, yet again, I apologise for my pronunciation. Edu Silver. And this is from the distillery of Menhirs, located in a village called Plomelin in the heart of Finisterre County. Now, since 1921, the Lillet family has taken on a relentless quest in search of the distillation savoir-faire. Today, Guy Lillet and his sons are considered masters in the art of the double distillation, using a copper pot still called alambic. This distillation method is the best technique to produce high-quality spirits. Now, that is what I've just read off of the box. Alambic is basically, we're talking about a still here. Yes, it's a copper pot still. It's got a broad, flat base to it, and it's heated um, by a direct flame. Now, it says on the box that it's been since 1921 that the family has taken on the relentless quest in the search of the distillation. However, it's actually 1998 that the construction of the dedicated building and the acquisition of a still um, took place that enabled moving on to, to oh, for now, let's say proper whiskey distillation. Um, now, I'm going to say for now proper whiskey distillation because there is something unusual about this whiskey and the name if you speak French um, actually gives it the away the name is Edu and Edu I believe means black wheat or buckwheat and that's because Edu Silver um, and again, I should read from the website here. Edu Silver belongs to the very heart of Brittany, France. It is the only whiskey in the world exclusively made from buckwheat. Today, buckwheat is considered to carry many secrets of good health and longevity. Interestingly, the other thing they say on this website is that they use, again, this direct flame, alambic still and that the blending of this whiskey is similar to the art of creating perfume um, which 
I may be wrong on this, but I actually believe that the alambic still is the sort of still that was traditionally used in perfume making anyway. But I want to break this down. If I'm wrong with this, please let me know. Somebody please write to me, tell me I'm wrong. But there's a f couple of little things here that I think might deserve being challenged. Now one is, this is this statement of it, the only whiskey in the world um, to be made exclusively from buckwheat. There is in Japan a distillery called the Shri Yi Distillery and my understanding is that they actually make a buckwheat whiskey there. They make a buckwheat liquor and a buckwheat whiskey. Now whether that's exclusively buckwheat I'm not too certain um, but that could actually challenge this claim for it being the only one that is a buckwheat whiskey or exclusively buckwheat whiskey. Now again what we're saying here as well that in this Japanese whiskey is made from buckwheat and one of the reasons it's done that is because buckwheat carries so much nutritional goodness to it it's seen as being a wonderful plant offering so much flavor, offering nutrients, and also able to grow in infertile areas so that it can be grown in, in greater places um, and more accessible both as a food substance as well as, as now, of course, making this whiskey. The other thing about buckwheat is that it is very low, if it has any at all, in gluten, which means it's, it's suitable, I believe, for people with a gluten intolerance. That then brings us on to something else because it isn't a cereal. It's not a grass. It actually isn't a grain. In fact, let's be specific about this. Buck wheat is not a type of wheat. Instead of being a cereal grain, it's actually a fruit seed. It's related to rhubarb and sorrel. And that is why it's suitable for people who are sensitive to wheat or other grains that contain protein glutens. Because it's not in there, because it's not a grain. It's a fruit seed. Now I'm giving a little pause there to allow that to sink in. My understanding is, if it's a fruit seed and not a grain, how can it be a whiskey? Because whiskey is made from grain. Barley is a grain. Malt barley is the barley that has malted. Buckwheat is not a grain. How can this be whiskey? It's worth thinking about, I think. Anyway, I have in front of me now some of it. And I have tasted it before, so I should be quick with this. Having said all I've just said about is it a whiskey or not, I have to say it is beautifully packaged. The bottle is wonderful. The appearance of this is this lovely burnished gold with a slight darky tinge to it. The legs cling to the glass. They're quite fat, but they come down nice and slow. Lots of cling. And the nose is very characteristic. It has got a very crisp edge to it. 
there is a bit of of citric quality to it but no there's something else to this nose that you don't tend to get in other whiskies it's almost got a new make nose to it there is that element of a a berry quality to it and on the taste sharp crisp cutting very strong mouthfeel not too much burn as it goes down a lovely gentle aftertaste that starts to emerge and again there's that berry fruity flavor in that background mellowed with a little touch of caramel and then comes the spice again we've got the aniseed but very subtly in the background it is a very unusual whiskey it's one that stands out now do i like the flavor of this whiskey this is one i think i've got to be in the mood for it is it unpleasant well that's the thing i think with this whiskey it's one of these if you're not in the mood for it actually you're not going to like it if you are in the mood for it then it seems to hit the spot it is unusual it's got character and these those are the things that i love in a whiskey to have character i like to be able to pick whiskey up taste it and go oh yeah i know what that is that is unique and this is unique it's got so much going for it but i am hung up on the issue of is it whiskey and to me that is a very important issue and i actually do think it needs challenging in a way because if it's not challenged where does it stop the fact that you can call itself whiskey because it's made from buckwheat which apparently isn't even a wheat unless of course i've got all that wrong but the the looking that the searching that i've done on this does say to me quite clearly it's more related to rhubarb than it is to barley kira and her friend very very busy they've got a long way to go with this car they can't hang around in france they've still got spain to get through so they enter into spain and they it's a long car journey they're going through spain what whiskey is there in spain that we can use to mark this event well there's one that comes to mind it's whiskey dick d-y-c it's the as far as i know the only spanish whiskey um i first had it in july august 2009 so not a long time ago and it's whilst i was on holiday in mallorca and it is a distillery that was established in 1959 although didn't start producing whiskey until 1963 it's located in segovia um, near the river erisma forgive me again if i'm saying it wrong um, and that is a river that's that's well known for good quality water now there are three types of dick whiskey there is the pure malt there is the eight-year-old which is a blend and then there is the fine blend which hasn't got an age statement on it and it's the fine blend which is the one that i've i've tasted i'd love to taste the other two um, but it's not something i can go down to the shops and just buy next time i'm in spain i'll be looking out for the other two 
especially as this is a company that was established on the same year that I was born. It gives us something in common. And this is one of those whiskies that really, for me, the location um, of where I was drinking it made a, such a big difference. It was burning hot. I was on holiday. I was relaxing. I was, I'd found a little shady area in the garden, got a sun lounger out. I had nothing to worry about, and I laid back with, well, one or two, shall we say, glasses of whiskey dick at 40% ABV. I found it to be very pale, had mixed slow and fast legs, which I actually find not that uncommon in a blend. Um, they were both thick and spaced. There's that inconsistency with it. Although it was a very hot day, it was 32 degrees centigrade. So that could affect the, the viscosity of that, of that whiskey. The nose, it was citric, it was vanilla, slight calomel, light on the nose, and the aroma was lost if I rubbed it onto my hands, but that might be more to do with the heat of my hands than the actual whiskey itself. And I actually wrote down that it had a nose a bit like a MacMyra. Why I wrote that, I'm not too certain, because there wasn't any MacMyra around for me to compare it to. Taste. It was crisp, lemony, aniseed with creme caramel, a good mouthful which lasts. And an aftertaste that was prolonged but actually didn't develop much into other tastes. Had very little chew to it, good afterburn to it, and the afterburn that went right down into my chest. Now that may well be because of how I was laid drinking it. Now the other thing I'll say about this whiskey or rather about the time I was drinking it is I can remember this whiskey well. I can remember this whiskey well because I can remember what I was doing. I was relaxing, I was enjoying myself and I was also reading and what I was reading was Gavin D. Smith's book The Whiskey Men. Now I'm going to do a quick review of this because there's more about this book on my website 276 pages it's got illustrations it's beautifully laid out and basically in a nutshell this is a book where he's gone around he's spoken to people in the trade and some of the shall we say um, are more experienced people within the trade in all sorts of levels all sorts of roles warehousemen mash men, still men, coopers, coppersmiths, excise managers, owners, um, even an illicit distiller, and he's talked to them and he's written down what they have to say. It is a fantastic book. I think it is actually one-off, if not my favourite whiskey book that there is. This is one of those books where you read it and you come away and you think you've really learnt something. You've really got into another world. Um, the one drawback I say about this book is, is that it's written in paper and it should be written in sound because there's voices in this book. There's the words from these people that some of them aren't going to be around forever. And wouldn't it be so great if we could just get a book like this, put it into sound, put it into picture and keep it as an archive? I said it before about Ian Buxton's book, 101 Whiskies to Try Before You Die. What a lovely TV program or series that would be. Do you know something? The Whiskey Men would be a knockout 
TV series or an archived film to actually see these people talking about their experiences of whiskey making. Please, somebody out there, hear what I'm saying. Make that movie. Make that TV program. Anyway, I'm coming off the track there. So DYC, uh, Dick Whiskey. It's a Spanish whiskey, but it's owned by um, Beam Global, which in turn is part of the Fortune Brands group. So that puts it into good company. There's other whiskies going on there as well. There's Canadian Club part of that group. There's Knob Creek, Jim Beam, Maker's Mark, Red Stag, Teachers, and of course Lafrague. So, you know, it's got it's got good company. But my daughter, bless her, she can't stay in Spain for long. She's got another boat to catch. And that boat takes her to Africa. What am I going to do? How do I find an African whiskey? Well, the way to find an African whiskey is to look for one, to find those links, to be creative. Let's break this down. Yes, she's in Africa. Africa isn't a country. Africa is a continent. Where in Africa is she? Well, at the time of recording this, she's in Morocco. The last contact I had from her was that she was in Marrakesh, about to head out over those mountains. My life, what an adventure. It's exciting times for her. She's doing really well. She's working really hard. For heaven's sake, people out there, put your hands in your pocket. Get on my website. Follow the link. Donate her some money. Honestly, she deserves it. And so do the causes that she's doing this for. So she's in Morocco. And as it happens, in Morocco, or rather linking with Morocco, we can find some whiskey. But first, we've got to go back to Scotland. Glen Murray. 1996, the Scottish Malt Whiskey Society's bottling 35.34. It's a single malt whiskey and it's a bottling that's called Moroccan Tea Room Masculinity. Bottled in 2010, 13 years old, new charred oak. There's only 281 bottles of this at 57% ABV. And um, the price of this, if you remember the society, comes around about £46 mark. What does that taste like? Right, well, I can only go by a review that somebody else has tasted for it. They're putting it 55.6% ABV, and they did this, I think, on the 8th of October 2010. And I want to read their review because it's quite short. A 13-year-old Glen Murray from a designer new charred oak cask. It is a dark reddy golden colour and has a rather low viscosity in the glass. Without water, there's a lot of alcohol on the nose, so much that I almost recall from the on the first breath although this is to be expected at 55% ABV there are aromas of nuts unsalted peanuts soft toffee and molasses there is a dry woodiness with undertones of spices pepper coriander seed perhaps I smell the vanilla ice cream lemonade ice cream float I made at Christmas as a child along with clotted cream and Pepsi raw 
With the addition of water, it softens up, becoming much more floral and fruity. There is still cream on the nose, but there is also silver fox, sisha, apple, licorice, smoke and tobacco, with sandalwood and cola nut, milk chocolate and Turkish delight. Rose water linger at the end. There is a strong sweetness on the palate before the flavours come through, but when they do, there are loads of them. Black coffee with lots of sugar and a heavy oak are the main players, with ash and treacle on the side. Garam masala and salt beef are hiding in the back with floral perfume, flour and a hint of cloves. There is pipe tobacco and leather with a little pepper and all of this is finished off with a long lemon drizzle cake and single cream left behind. Wow, that is some description of a whiskey. And I'm taking that. That is from Jimmy Norris um, from Whiskey Connoisseur that is... Um, connoisseur spelt c-o-n-n-o-s-r dot com um, a, a website worth looking at especially if you want to know about Moroccan tea room masculinity what a name for a whiskey so there you are I made the link but then again you know I'm not too sure whether that's good enough is there any other there well actually yes there is again from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society on the USA site, we've got cask number 35.35, and this whiskey is called Christmas in Morocco. It's a space side. The nose transported us to Christmas scenes, it says. Christmas cake, cinnamon, vanilla, pine and mulled wine. We also found lots of chocolate ginger, maple syrup and rum and raisin. The unreduced palate was fascinating and hum humongous with scented wood, rum and pineapple cake and cinnamon mulled wine creating endless warmth, fresher and livelier with water. The nose now had beeswax, haystacks and hessian. The spices had turned eastern or Moroccan. The palate became ultra-sweet, sticky toffee pudding, maple candles and melted chocolate were all mentioned. Taut wood extract flavours stopped it from being sickly sweet. The distillery was established in 1897 by Thorns of Greenock. Drinking tip would go with sticky toffee pudding, but really any time would be fine. Deep mahogany with orange lights, new charred Missouri oak cask, 13 years old, distilled March 1996, alcohol 57% ABV. Christmas in Morocco. Well, there you go. That's it. That's sorted out. Two whiskies related to Morocco. But do you know something? I think I can do even better than that. What about a whiskey that's actually made in Morocco? What about a whiskey that's actually called Moroccan whiskey? Now, before you can understand Moroccan whiskey, We've got to go somewhere else now. We've got to go all the way over to America to try to understand Kentucky tea. Because if you can understand Kentucky tea, you can understand what Moroccan whiskey isn't, if that makes sense. Because here comes another one of those things in today's episode about things that aren't quite what they seem. Now, Fred Booker No. the third, Kentucky bourbon maker Jim Beam's great-grandson, 
came up with this recipe for Jimmy's iced tea. Now, I, th I can't quite remember, so if I'm wrong, forgive me, but I think I first came across the idea of Kentucky tea when I was reading um, F. Paul Picoult's book, American Still Life, about the Jim Beam story. And I think there's reference to Kentucky tea in there. And I have seen a few recipes for Kentucky tea. Um, I've actually even seen a recipe for Kentucky tea that actually contains tea. Um, this this particular recipe is Jim Beam, Magnuka honey, lemon juice, um, a bit of lemonade, and lemon flavored mineral water um, mixed together. I think that's the the right recipe. What you notice that isn't in there is tea. Um, I've even heard of a recipe for Kentucky tea, which is literally just um, Kentucky whiskey and water but there's no tea it's called tea but actually it's not really a proper tea not not as most people know a cup of tea so moroccan whiskey i'm sure you can gather this now actually hasn't got any whiskey in it how do you make moroccan whiskey well you boil water you put it into a teapot you swiss it around pour it away and then you add one or two teaspoons of green tea leaves, put some more hot water in and allow it to sit for a minute. Throw that water away. And that takes some of the bitterness out of the tea. Add more boiling water back to the teapot. Add fresh mint leaves and sugar cubes. Mix them together. Grind them up at the bottom of it. Steep out crunch out all that flavor and leave it to stand two to three minutes or so perhaps even longer um, i believe that in morocco they can take a long time to prepare the tea but apparently it's really worth it pour it into glasses and enjoy it and i understand that this tea is really nice when it's hot but can also be really good when it's cold as well it's mint tea it's served in the Sahara Desert, and they call it Moroccan whiskey. So that, people, that is my link. This is how I'm managing to do it. My daughter is in Morocco. We have done France. We have done Spain. And now I'm claiming this, that we have done Morocco in whiskey. From here, she travels, I think, into the Western Sahara, and further down into Africa, and as she does that, it's going to get harder to find the links, I'm sure. So please help me. If anybody's got any, any suggestions, please email them through to me. I'm not going to promise that it's going to come into next week's episode. I'll, I will certainly try for it, but it's not going to be the big feature that it has been this episode, um, because... If things go to plan, then next week's episode will be the first of possibly a two-parter um, taking us back to Scotland to something that I am I personally find very special and hopefully it, it, there'll be a story link with it as well. Um, I hope you'll come back and listen for that. I've really enjoyed making this episode, although it's been a bit stumbly at times. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it as well. If anybody wants to contact me, it's jim at themaltedmuse.com and please go to my website, themaltedmuse.com find the link for 
the Timbuktu Challenge, Spirit of a Star, and from there you can find out how to donate, even if it's just a small amount of money. The money will go direct to the charity. My daughter won't touch it at all. She won't even see it at all. It'll go direct to the charity. They can use that money straight away. She's working really hard for this. Um, let's give her a bit of support and let's help some really worthy causes. Uh, the information's on my website. Thank you ever so much for listening. And until next week, thank you and goodbye.